Okay. We're ready. Let's make a podcast. Okay. Okay. Let's do this. Welcome to Don't Call Me a Guru. I'm Guru. Guru? You called it Garu. Guru. Guru. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Don't Call Me a Guru. Mm -hmm. I'm Tyler Butler, social media. Let's try it one more time. Take three. Welcome to Don't Call Me a Guru. I'm Tyler Butler, social media strategist for McEwen University. And I'm Linda Huang, digital strategist at Calder Bateman Communications. This podcast, we are going to be talking about social media strategy. Both of us have worked in social media for quite some time. Linda, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? Sure. So I am uh, very active on social media, Twitter, Instagram, all sorts of networks. I... I guess started doing it professionally five years ago and have since done social media for uh, media organizations, post-secondary, and now at this agency I get to work with a, a lot of different clients, which is pretty fun. Um, but I think the, the, the coolest part is that I just really love doing it personally. Um, so I have a blog and I've always been tweeting and Instagramming and Snapchatting and, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of nice that I get to do it as a job, too. I've been at McEwen University for the last five years this summer, and I've been in this role, the social media role, for the last three. Uh, had the opportunity to kind of shape the university's direction on social media. Um, it's been super challenging and creative and fun. Uh, I'm a little less active on social media personally than Linda is uh, I than you are. I can, I can say <laughs> you're right here. sitting right here. Uh, I tend to, to tweet with uh, less frequency and, and much a much more sardonic voice, I think. Um, <laughs> you, have a nice, you have a nice brand for yourself, though, Tyler. A personal brand. You got a good Future personal episode. Brand. Personal branding <laughs> on tuned. social media uh, and why it just might be bullshit. <laughs> hey! <laughs> we'll be arguing a lot in that episode. <laughs> We can talk a little bit about what people can expect from this podcast. So both of us are social media strategists. So what we really want to talk about in this podcast is like the gritty on the ground. This is how the social media strategists do it. Both of our roles, I think I can speak for you here. Uh, both of our roles require us to make content all the time, mm -hmm. which is its own unique challenge. And, uh, and and always be on top of, of the latest and not just kind of the news that's out there, but how we can actually use it to make interesting, creative, engaging, uh, effective content for the brands and, uh, and uh, places that we work for. Yeah, and I think we, we both offer some different perspectives. So um, we actually both were in post-secondary, so you're still at McEwen, and I was at Nate's Hashtag doing social best friends. Hashtag best friends. Look up that thread on Twitter. <laughs> well, don't, because you'll get a lot <laughs> of unrelated things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, despite, uh, for a time, us having very similar roles in, in similar sort of institutions, uh, we approach things um, very differently, um, but still quite strategically and, and effectively. So I think the, the nice thing about this podcast is that when we're talking about different social media strategy or, or news or, or how we would do things, it kind of should cover um, a range of perspectives. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think... It's always really interesting to me the different ways that you and I will approach social media situations where 
I want to know when I show up at an event, for example, I want to know exactly who I'm meeting, what social media we're going to be posting on. They are expecting me. I know what story they're going to tell. And in that way, I have some measure of control over the quality of the content. Uh, whereas I think you have a much more free-flowing but equally effective and much more fun approach. <laughs> I've often said that I have taken the most like exciting uh, creative job and just made it like a bunch of boring spreadsheets <laughs> and uh, email chains. Hey, but it works. Right. <laughs> That's what um, We also want to, I think, be showcasing local uh, social media perspectives. So there's a lot of uh, really great things happening on social with local businesses, local nonprofits, um, the whole gamut there. So, so the intent of the podcast as well is that we'll bring some of these people together uh, so that they can share how they do it, why they do it, and when what they've found works and doesn't work as well. Yeah, so in future episodes, we hope to have uh, an interview uh, from a local social media strategist uh, tagged on to the end of it. Uh, we'll be posting monthly episodes from now into the future. Into Who knows when? Infinity. <laughs> uh, and, or until our inevitable falling out. And, <laughs> like, because uh, we won't be friends anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, hey, let's talk a little bit about who helped us make this podcast. Uh, the music is by uh, Doug Hoyer, Edmonton expat, now resident of uh, Athens, Georgia, and good friend of mine. Uh, talented guy. You can check out his stuff uh, wherever music is heard. <laughs> and uh, our logo, our, our Don't Call Me a Guru logo is super fun. Uh, and it was designed by my friend Rory Lee, um, who does a lot of great illustrations and artwork at RoryLeeDesign.com or he's at Rorsley on uh, Twitter. Thanks, Rory. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Rory and Doug. Oh, and did we say we're in the Edmonton Makerspace? Well, now we that's, have. <laughs> that's what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, we are recording this podcast in the uh, beautiful downtown studio of the Edmonton uh, Public, Public Library, Library. Makerspace. Uh, so so we only have 30 more minutes. <laughs> yeah, so we got a motor. So let's talk about why, why did we name the podcast Well, we named it. Why don't call me a guru? Uh, I think... I get called a guru all the time. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> you didn't ask for it. I don't, I don't know where this came from, um, but it's always kind of got under my skin a little bit, the idea of the social media guru. And uh, the big thing for me is that a lot of people who you work with don't really understand what you're doing on social media. The word guru to me sort of puts this orientalist mist over what you're doing and shrouds it in magic and mystery when really what I'm doing is making a plan, like defining goals and then tracking to make sure that I'm reaching those uh, with some awareness of different tools uh, that are out there. Um, also, is it is it racist to call someone a guru who's not a guru? Like it might, <laughs> Maybe. It seems like it is. So, I mean, I get that. I think... For example, when like I've been invited to speak at places or I'm introduced somewhere when I'm talking about social media, they, they will say like guru or like queen or, you know, like things like that. And I get that it's sort of supposed to be a fun, nice uh, description, um, but, but it also 
like you've said to me, Tyler, that it's impossible to be an expert on social media. And I totally agree. Um, and I don't think that, that you want to be an expert on social media because that means that you're you're done. You've arrived and you, you somehow know it all. And I just don't think that that's possible. And, and I wouldn't want it to be possible because that would take the fun out of it. This, since this is our like intro episode, yeah, yeah. so people can get to know us a bit more, um, Tyler, can you tell me what your favorite social networks are and why? So <laughs> I still really like Twitter. Uh, I I just have a lot of fun writing on there, uh, but I use uh, Snapchat like a lot now. So I I got into Snapchat because you know when you work at a university, your audience is very youthful and. I need to be on top of what the kids are doing out there on the interwebs. And uh, so I started using Snapchat uh, personally just to kind of get a sense of, okay, what's out there, what's working. Um, and I just had so much fun using it. Uh, didn't, you, didn't you snap with your sister? Yeah, my sister, I just <laughs> snapped her every day and tried everything. And uh, I'm sure it was pretty annoying. So thanks, uh Thanks, Kenda, for putting up with me. And, uh, and then after that, I snapped a daily snap of my coworker's life, Ryan Snaps. And uh, <laughs> I didn't really realize that people were following it until I stopped snapping him daily and the outrage messages started uh, started pouring in. <laughs> um, I would say... Twitter I, and Snapchat? Twitter and Snapchat. Okay. Linda, same question. Same question. Um, so I think for me it's probably Twitter and Instagram, although... Although I do love Snapchat. So I love Twitter and Instagram. And I think, um, well, because I treat them very differently as well. So on Twitter, I just love that I can just tweet really as much as I want all day long. And that's totally okay. Um, And it can be anything from cat photos to really interesting articles uh, that I'm I'm reading uh, to photos from an event that I'm at. So I think it's so varied that way. And and the frequency is is a-okay to share all of that um, all day. Uh, Whereas on Instagram, I really love it because it's so beautiful. (laughs) Or at least most of the accounts that I follow are really beautiful. And it's just when you're scrolling through the photos, it's very inspirational, um, or at least you sort of aspire, you want to live that life or <laughs> um, or eat that food. Uh, so yeah, so so I totally treat it differently. Like Instagram, I'm actually very calculated with the posts, that the photos that I share. I know that like, okay, well, that photo is not good for Instagram. But on Twitter, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to post four of these pictures. <laughs> so I really like, yeah, so those would be my two favorite. I think I'm kind of a dick on Instagram. Like, <laughs> I just I like to take photos. I like mm-hmm. to post them on there. Your photos are really nice. Thank you. But well, you put like yeah. But... A local blogger called me one of the top thirty Instagrammers <laughs> in the uh, in the city. <laughs> what the heck does that blogger know? <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't call her a guru. Uh, I just I post on Instagram, but I do not engage at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's really interesting how Instagram is changing a little bit. When mm-hmm. it came out, it was like all filtered photos and beautiful things and now I find it's a lot of like memes and comedy mm-hmm. uh, and I think Instagram stories has really changed things all conversations to have at a later time For Tyler stop derailing the podcast <laughs> we'll get better at this <laughs> it's our first episode so let's get into some defining statements who are we what are some of like an introduction to what we do on social media 
Um, like if we had to give you some blanket social media advice, what would it be? Tyler, you want to start? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think uh, a really good place to start is measuring everything on social media. I'm. It's a huge part of my strategies. It's so important when you are a strategist that you can prove the value of what you are doing, mm-hmm. and numbers are a big, big part of that. Uh, and you get to learn a little something about your audience uh, in the process. Yeah, and I think with measuring everything, when I give that similar advice, um, I'll also add that you you sometimes don't know what you're going, you know, what stat or what what you know data that you've tracked will actually prove to be very valuable. Um, so it is great if you actually measure as many things as you possibly can, because then a year's data later, you can actually start seeing trends and figuring out that it was super useful and valuable. What's a key statement from you? So it sort of falls into my, like, things that you should not do uh, list. And I, I really believe that there's a fine line uh, between, like, automated social media or automation to make work processes easier, um, especially if budget and resources are, are pretty slim and you're being stretched and pulled and you're trying to work on so many different platforms and it's just you. Um, automation can be great, um, but fine line between that and just being lazy <laughs> And I think that a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, are lazy with their social media. Um, and you see that all the time in cross po- like automated cross-posting from Instagram to Twitter to Twitter to Facebook to, to all of these different networks. And, and I just and so my one of my one of my golden things is that I really think that content should be created for the platform and and like not to say that you need to reinvent everything, but you know, certainly tweaking captions here and there or choosing a different picture or filming a video a different way for the platform that you're on um, makes a huge difference. And it's just the worst when your tweet cuts off because now you're sending people to Facebook. So bad. <laughs> so bad. Just the worst. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, for me, a big part of social media is, I, I know I just said measure everything, but with that in mind, uh, A lot of what I've seen people connect with on social is when you can really make them feel something. Uh, Emotion plays a huge role in in the content that you create, uh, especially with that share metric. Uh, When you're, you know, a like is a like and a click is a click, but sharing, that means like, hey, I want all of my friends, I want all of my followers to see this and and see that I'm associated with it. Um, And I've noticed that when the things that people share the most that I create generally elicit some kind of like joy or sadness or um, uh, outrage. Yeah, yeah, outrage for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing for me is that I really think um, when you're using social media, it's so important to try and connect. So, I mean, it, these start sounding like buzzwords, too, like connect and engage. But but truly, you should not just be using social media to shout out your message. And I think, unfortunately, in a lot of companies or a lot of businesses, social media just becomes this check mark where it's like, OK, we're going to have a billboard. We're going to have a newspaper ad. Make sure you put this on Twitter. Check, check, check. And it's like and then you think you're done once you've sent out whatever post it is that, that you've shared. But. But I think the most valuable part comes from when you're actually 
following other people and seeing what they're sharing and seeing how you can make your content fit with that and replying to someone if they've said something to you. Just so you're not shouting and not ignoring people uh, on social media is, is, I think, and maybe obvious, but oftentimes ignored. Yeah, it's a great way to stay relevant to your audience when you listen to what they're doing, when you try to get into the social medias and the communities where they actually talk the way they want to talk. Mm -hmm. um, you can learn how how can I mirror this voice? How can I become part of this community? Uh, and a great way to do that is to sort of learn some some pop culture. Uh, <laughs> you got to talk like the points. youths. You got to talk like the youths of today. <laughs> but, you know, more than that, like... Um, you don't always have a youth audience on social media. Uh, you know, when I target parents on Facebook with certain ads, I'm writing differently than when I target teens. I do have one caveat about uh, when you reference pop culture in, in general, and that is understand your references. Like, you can find the perfect GIF and... Uh, and it might say the perfect thing and have the perfect facial expression, but if you don't understand that character's place in the TV show you're referencing, don't use it. Do some research. Know what you're referencing. Yeah, I actually, I love that you brought that up because when when I was at Nate and, and we were using GIFs back and forth, one of the things that you told me, which for me, I do, like, I, I do just Google, well, and now Twitter makes it really easy, you can search, but I would just Google, you know, like, haha GIF, and then just sort of pick one that looked good, and then uh, you had told me that you actually have a folder where you sort of categorize or, or you know, sort out where GIFs came from. Um, right, I've taken is... sharing... <laughs> I've taken sharing fun gifts and made it just an analytical, uh, boring. Yeah, okay, that so, sounds like something. So, I would do. It's so on brand, <laughs> <laughs> but it's smart. Um, I think understanding the references when you, when you are sharing from pop culture, I have found that nostalgia is better than being super relevant. So when Friends came out on Netflix. Everyone who was a university student watched the whole thing in like a weekend. And uh, that became a great place to get gifts because I understand the characters and their motivations. The students understand, the audience understands their characters and their motivations. Uh, it's, it's better that you're both on the same page because it's so easy to mess up. <laughs> Even bad guys make good gifts. <laughs> Another thing that I that I wanted to share was that I I really believe that um, the best social media strategists or just people in social media uh, are the people who actually love to use uh, the platforms themselves personally. So not necessarily that you're using it like you're so active um, and that you're posting all the time, but just that you actually have a personal interest in figuring this out or, or learning how to use this or, or talking to your friends on this platform. Um, when you have that layer of actually liking it outside of work hours, uh, then, then I think it, it makes you that much better. When you actually like using social media and your job is social media, you'll find that that you are staying abreast of the latest features and the, the biggest changes just by using it. And you, you, you don't even have to read. The, the article came out three days after I already knew about it because I was using it, you know, sending stupid things to you. So. <laughs> So let's talk about what's going on in the world of social media right now. 
Uh, we'll do a quick little roundup of some of the key headlines. Uh, Go. Tw- <laughs> Twitter Moments opens up to everyone. Linda, have you tried Twitter Moments yet? Okay, so I was actually going to try it before we recorded this podcast. I was going to try yeah. to curate like the best cat tweets of 2016 so far, and then I didn't do it. Yeah, I, I, I created a moment at McEwen, and it's just it's sitting there, and it's called Untitled Moment. <laughs> draft. So we'll get back to you on moments. No, but (laughs) we really did the research for this. No, but actually someone just tweeted me uh, saying, ugh, is Storify really the only option we have for curating things? And I was like, not anymore. Exactly. Well, sort of. Not. So not necessarily, because Twitter moments, you can only curate tweets, whereas Storify lets you pull in lots of different sources. Was anyone doing anything but tweets? (laughs) Mostly everyone does tweets anyways. So um, Facebook has released their new workplace at Facebook, which is basically like an internal intranet uh, comms platform for employees. So your company can sign up for workplace at Facebook and then uh, staff can use that sort of as a way to chat with you, start message boards. And, and you're basically like on Facebook 24-7 then because you're you're on it personally, you're on it at work. It's it's kind of interesting. <laughs> so it's sort of like a project management or like a Slack kind of it, yeah. thing? Yeah, so it's like a direct sort of Slack competitor, I would say. Um, I know already like some people uh, that I've talked to about it are like, ooh, you know, I don't want, like, Facebook already knows so much about everyone's lives, and now they're going to know about your work lives, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Ouch. Oh, no. My eyes rolled up into my head. I can't get them out. Help. Help. Uh, that's a cool idea. Employees being on social media can be really powerful. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they work there. They can be the best ambassadors of, of your brand. They'll tweet Absolutely. about the things you ask them to. Mm-hmm. But I would think... From the strategy perspective, I would rather they were on like outside facing a more public, yes, and sharing what they were doing (laughs) than sending it like a a instant message to Mm -hmm. each other kind of thing. So I I don't really know what this platform looks like, but I I like employees on Facebook, but you know keep sharing, keep 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 sharing things publicly. Yeah, the good things. (laughs) So Snapchat, in a recent study, has been named teenagers' social network of choice. So eighty percent of teenagers would choose Snapchat over all other platforms. However, 79% would choose Instagram. So it's a very, you know, it's a very small lead, but uh, but certainly Snapchat continues to prove that it's the, the platform for the youngins. Yeah, if your audience <laughs> is youth and you're not on Snapchat, you're missing a huge opportunity right now, in my opinion. No, um, absolutely. Our followership has been growing and growing and growing. Um, and... The, that followership is is so engaged. It's one of the social medias where when I ask them to do something, uh, they'll often do it. A good percentage of them will do it, uh, which is you know it. That's a pretty that's pretty nice. One of the things that teens like about Snapchat is that it's hard for brands to use. Uh, it is really challenging and takes a lot of time to do a good job on Snapchat, mm-hmm. uh, which means that the people who are doing a good job are creative and interesting people who are making quality content, um, you know, 
these kids, just like you, they can they can see right through your your shit. Like, right, it, you can't buy uh, popularity on Snapchat. No, yet. and you and it does really force you to be creative and interesting because if you're not, then they'll just stop viewing your stuff. Oh no, <laughs> and worse, you... <laughs> they'll tell you. <laughs> hey, hey, that <laughs> they, was crap. It'll be very clear <laughs> if you're not uh, living up to your, your quality <laughs> or your standards. Yeah, I think there's so much to say about brands and Snapchat, but we'll uh, we'll definitely have that on a later episode. Instagram puts stories in the explore tab. Yeah, so they're trying to get even more people to use their Snapchat copycat feature. <laughs> Are you using Instagram stories? I am. It's this internal struggle because I, I am upset that Instagram just straight up copied Snapchat and also I call it the poor man Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is. It's like it's just a stripped down features version of Snapchat stories. Um, And it frustrates me. But like literally on Snapchat, if you post something, you might get a handful of views, let's say personally. If you're a brand and you're trying to get on Snapchat, you're maybe also going to get just a handful of views because you're trying to build your audience. Whereas on Instagram, like my photographer friend put it really good. He said he tried Snapchat. Some of his snaps got maybe... 50 views up to 100 views was maybe his best. He used Instagram stories. Suddenly he was over 1,000 views. And so it's just that built-in audience that's on Instagram. I, I, I'm I, not using it quite a bit yet, and I'm still trying to figure out what I like more. And also, if I'm using both Instagram and Snapchat, how to make it interesting and not repetitive for people who are following me on both. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think is the difference between the two from a content perspective. What would you post on Instagram stories that you wouldn't post on Snapchat and vice versa? I mean, honestly, I think a lot of the content that you can put on Snapchat could easily work on Instagram stories. Yeah. And it would reach more people. It's just, it's just then why do you need both? You probably don't need both. What would your answer to your question be? <laughs> I've seen more like behind the scenes, this is how this Instagram was made stuff oh, on that's Instagram. Cool. See, I haven't seen that. And, I mean, I'm not using it at McEwen yet mm-hmm. because Snapchat is so is doing very well for us. Mm-hmm. But, like, imagine, though, because McEwen is, like, you have tons of Instagram followers and engagement, right? So just, just imagine. <laughs> I guess, for me, it's like an age thing. Like, if your audience is not youths, Instagram stories. If Makes it is a lot youths, of sense. Yep. Snapchat. No, uh, and sure. then you can kind of define things that way. Uh, I think it's a budget and resource thing too, right? Like if you're already on Instagram and you're already posting content onto Instagram and you don't absolutely. want to invest in a brand new platform, Instagram stories might make a lot of sense. There's so many platforms out there and my most finite resource is time. Mm-hmm. Like I only, you know, Snapchat <laughs> takes so much time yeah. to do well. To do uh, well, yeah. And takes no time to be bad at it. So, yeah. so I need to decide at all times, what what am I not doing if I start doing Instagram stories? And mm-hmm. is Instagram stories more valuable than this thing that I'm not doing? So this is news. Pinterest hits 150 million monthly users. Um, that's quite a bit. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people who are still using Pinterest. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I don't use Pinterest. Right. I don't really use Pinterest either. That's a lot. I guess I, I wanted to, I mean, I think it's worth including in this, yeah. but but it's like, who still uses Pinterest? What, which, what kind of company would you recommend be using Pinterest? 
I think uh, interior designers should use, like, lots of real estate or beauty, home. Like, there's a lot of food on there, too. I know a lot of food bloggers who use Pinterest simply just to pin a picture of, you know, a a recipe that they've made. And Pinterest is a huge traffic driver to your blog that way. Um, So if it's not inspiration, it's traffic to your article or your blog post that you've done. So I think Pinterest does have a lot of value depending on what your company is. We um, explored it at McEwen. It didn't really work. I, we weren't really seeing any traction. Uh, I had a couple different ideas that I was trying. Um, but again, that's just going back to, to the measurables, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can, you need to be willing to be wrong all the time as a social media strategist. Yeah. So when you try something new, you need to put the measurable and not let your ego bulldoze over it if it's not working. Yeah, I think like it's great to fail, and I think it's great to experiment. And if you don't experiment, um, then you won't then you won't know whether something worked or whether it didn't. Okay, so thanks for listening. <laughs> Next time on Don't Call Me a Guru, we're going to be speaking with... Uh, my good friend and also an excellent marketing uh, manager and social media specialist himself, Devin Komerniski. Uh He works at the Thistle Center, so we'll be chatting all about social media um, from the nonprofit perspective. So let us know how we did. <laughs> This is our first podcast that we've done, and hopefully we haven't bored you. (laughs) Yeah, and we really want to uh, be talking about uh, these things further on on social. We've uh, created uh, Twitter, Instagram. What else have we made? We just went a website. (laughs) And a website. All of them are at Don't Call Me A Guru. Yeah. The website is don'tcallmeaguru.com. Yep. Um, Probably the the Twitter account would be the most useful. We're going to be sharing lots of different social media articles from there. So hopefully it becomes uh, like a resource for you as well as you strive to become a guru guru (laughs) Guru yourself. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next month. I'm Tyler Butler. And I'm Linda Huang. This is Don't Call Me a Guru.